Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Humanity of Christianity podcast. My name is Robin, and I'm your host. This is part two of a conversation I had with David Fraze in talking about grief. David is a companion of grief. Grief has been a part of his life from an early age and even into his time as a student minister. In our conversation this week, we begin to see grief beyond just death, but in how we deal with pandemic and even grief's place in the conversation of race in our nation and in our world. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. Here we go. Well, you know, I know that during this whole COVID quarantine and all that stuff, you know, that sparked a lot of people having to stay at home. Mm -hmm. And um, there were a lot of things that were missed. There were high school graduations that didn't take place like they would normally. There were a lot of events that were canceled. And uh, that people started realizing that what we were dealing with was not just the loss of events, but we were grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think for a lot of us, this became very real, how we were processing this grief. And some of it was, you know, we had the quarantine, like T-E-E-N, you know, the quarantine pounds you put on <laughs> and because people were eating more. They were staying home. Um, anxiety was rising. Um, I'm pretty sure the mental health of our nation, our world has suffered dramatically. Absolutely. And then in the midst of all of this, these people are, are already grieving what they've lost. And then all the, we find out about Armad Arbery and this racial killing. And at the time, some people were saying it's race and some people were saying it's not, but now we know it was. And then there's Breonna Taylor and then, of course, George Floyd happens, and we mm-hmm. just see an explosion all over our world. Yeah. Um, and you know what I've realized more and more is I've, I've been listening to my, my brothers and sisters of color, or listening to other people and reading, is they are expressing grief in a way that we go, well, that's, I don't like the way you're expressing your grief because, well, it's just you should be doing it this way. And they're expressing their grief and they're saying, will you grieve with me? Mm, And for so long, I think that we've just, we've not done that. We've been, and we, the Job's friends were the best when they sat with him for seven days in the ashes and said nothing. It's when they start trying to explain to him why his grief was wrong and what he did was wrong and that they had problems. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, man, I love for you bringing all that up because I think, and I don't want to be reductionistic because it is multifaceted, but when we offer quick explanations, um, man, we got to be careful. I, I remember, you know, even in the bus wreck, and I'll come back to this, that well-meaning people would walk up. For instance, if I was someone whose daughter was saved and your daughter lost their life, um, did you hear I used that word saved? That's what they would say. So yeah. right there, you're getting involved in the theological conversation. But then they would walk up and say, I'm so glad God was with your daughter on that bus. And you're listening to the conversation. The implication is God wasn't with you. Now, people didn't mean to say that the way that it just sounded, but they're not thinking. And that's what happens when we rush into explanation for loss and grief. Um, man, I, I hope, especially to... Uh, our black brothers and sisters listening in, um, we, 
we do not, we want to feel, we have to, let me just say this, um, we don't need to rush into explanation. We need to set in the grief with them. And I love the way that you said that. We need to listen to them because if grief is a marker of loss, <clears throat> then we have to listen to them and figure out, okay, what has been lost? And especially as a, as a white male, I have to listen to them and say, okay, please let me, I set in this grief with you, let me listen and not rough, rush into explanation. And very quickly, if we were to do that, I think we would all arrive at a very good productive location where we can move forward together. And, but why we don't do that, whether it is COVID, whether it is um, racism that we have to deal with, whether it is a normal loss, we, as humans, we don't want to deal with grief. We don't want to look at loss in the eye because when we look at loss in the eye, here's what happens, Robin. We realize that there is a God and we're not God, that we can only control what we can control. And so when someone reacts in violence or they begin to scream, man, I wish people would understand look behind the anger because what it's trying to say is there's something I'm trying to control that I can't control and you need to understand this loss and you need to understand this grief. That's why even when you're, when there is, I'm going to, if there is a, such a thing as a normal loss and a normal grief, it's why there's a reaction with some people and I've seen it where they get angry and they're like, why did this happen? It's not supposed to happen. That is a normal response when you feel like you cannot control something and something has happened. So we have to listen. And for crying out loud, um, we, we have to listen to get behind the grief. Um, so to my black brothers and sisters, we haven't listened very well. Um, and and I, I'm going to say this just on, you know, for me as a white male, um, you know, I hate when our black brothers and sisters are cast as angry black people. They just need to calm down. That is a microaggression from white people who don't want to listen to the anger that uh, we're a part of. And so we all need to listen together and grieve together so we can find a future forward. And I think we are living such a polarized society that when you add the grief of racism, we choose a side. And, and let me just tell you, the path forward is not a political party. The path forward is people. And yeah. the path forward is people listening and giving room for people's grief and, grief and loss and listening on both sides. There is grief and loss on the white side and the black side, the Latino side, and the Indian side, there's a lot of grief and loss to go around. But if we sit in that grief for a while and then try to figure out what can we control in a path forward in an uncontrollable situation, I certainly think we could find a path forward for humanity, especially in the church, yeah. where we have a God that goes beyond race, ethnicity, social class. At least that's a God we read about in the Bible. You know, I think it's um, Thomas Long uh, wrote a book called Accompany Them with Singing, and it's the, the, mm. the Christ, about the Christian funeral. And in that book, he talks about how um, Christians have adopted this 
this, at least white Christians, especially white upper middle class Christians have adopted this way of dealing with grief that would be so counterintuitive to how early Christians would have reacted where, you know, we've gotten to the point where we, we, we don't know how to, when somebody's grieving, we don't know how to talk to them about it. Um, we say stupid things like, well, God just wanted to bring home another angel. You know, well, there's squirrels. Why can't so God bring a squirrel home? So theologically jacked up because it right. makes God look like a narcissistic, crazy, yeah. I got to have people around me and I got to have worship. That, again, not in the Bible. God wants a relationship right. with us. So, again, Jesus wept. Jesus is in the middle of all of that. Oh, man. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, and well, no, that's great, though, because in there he talks about how – so we've replaced a funeral service with a memorial service. We probably won't have a body there because we don't want to make people uncomfortable because mm. we're uncomfortable with death. And I think when we start talking about race relations, we are very uncomfortable with that as a nation because we haven't reckoned with death in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and we haven't really, to a certain degree, I mean, we're like, well, we've come so far. We've got, a, we had a black president and, but, and well, he started up. And the thing is, I don't like getting into politics because I, I'm, I'm for the lamb, not for the elephant or the donkey. But at the same time, when we blame, um, when we look at race relations and we say, oh, we've come so far because we had a black president um, without acknowledging our place and why that is such a monumental thing in the past. I mean, I wasn't alive during slavery. You weren't either. I wasn't even alive during Jim Crow. But I grew up in the Deep South. I wasn't either, by the way, because that was an ageism. So I wasn't sorry, I just want to just want to clear. <laughs> sorry, I needed to clarify that we weren't alive okay. during Jim Crow. Yeah. But you know, we we can still see the after effects of that, and we haven't, as a nation, as a people, dealt with that, and it's hard because. I think that's part of the reason why the conversations about grief are, are relevant, not only to us as humans dealing with loss of loved ones or how we interact with, with grief and losing and death, but also what we see what's happened with coronavirus and the quarantine and what we've lost in that. But also when it comes to the race relations, why we haven't, why it's so difficult for us as white people so that's- to have those conversations. You know, all of our categories are beginning to be shook up. And I think it's a great process. Again, if we were to set in the grief, if we were to listen to where the grief's coming from, from ourselves, from both sides, you know, red and yellow, black and white, everyone together. Um, if we were to listen and learn from each other, again, that's, that's hard because it takes self-examination. And then we start to realize we're not the gods of our own future. It goes back to the idea we can, we can only control what we can control. And right now in our culture, we can't control the COVID. It seems like, can we control, you know, um, the grief that you see in the protest? I, I would understand because, you know, let, let's just face it. Um, there's some things, I, I use this illustration a lot to people who push back on microaggressions. Um, if three of my white athletes or three of my black athletes go to the mall, who's security going to watch? more than likely are going to watch three black athletes. That's a microaggression. That's making an assumption based on somebody's skin color. If I was one of my black friends, I would be frustrated too at what I see. But yeah. we go to extremes. We're like going, well, that means you don't love cops. No, that doesn't mean that at all. And that's not what they're saying either. Or you go to the other side and say, well, you're just, you just 
you know, you want to make me feel bad for being white. That's not what they're saying either. They're saying, would you listen and see me and grieve with me and see what I have lost? And I mean, we can go into that a lot. Um, but I think the best advice that I can give that I try to do is set at the feet of my black brothers and sisters and literally go up and say, would you please explain what I don't know? Help me understand. That's the only thing that kills our assumptions, doesn't it, Robin, is to say, tell me what it's like to be you. And then in return, I've always heard, tell me what it's like to be you. That is the beauty of this, the opportunity we have right now. But in social media, in our world, when you go to the donkey and elephant situation, it's about power and control. Power and control will not give us equality. It just gives us one king for another. We're looking for answers in a party. But again, I'll go back to the people. If we would sit in the grief and the loss of the people that we know that are neighbors and friends and those that we work with and those that we go to church with in particular, um, that is that is what Jesus, I believe, was trying to say in the Good Samaritan. It, stop trying to define who your neighbor is. Yeah. Is it a Republican or a Democrat? No, that, you know, Jesus was like, the question is, are you a good neighbor? That's the control. That's what we can control. I can control being a good neighbor. Well, what's a good neighbor? I'm going to go to the other side of the road. And in that situation, the good Samaritan's crazy because he was, that was a racist situation where a Samaritan is helping someone else. Um, And actually, the, the hero of Jesus' story was the minority, was the Samaritan, the person who was uh, the have-have, if you will, and not the person in power. But for us, what if we put ourselves as people of God in the minority in that story and just say, my job to be a follower of Jesus is to set in the grief, to take care of those who are hurting to the best of my ability, and to hear their story. Yeah. To be a good neighbor. And my word, it sounds like I'm being so reductionistic. I know we have systemic issues. But in this, again, going back, in my grief and in my loss of sitting in COVID, of the race issues that we all have to enter into, we should enter into as leaders. Uh, and now, by the way, uh, again, you're not, want to li- you're not going to want to be the friend of a phrase. My wife is going through breast cancer. Um in all of this grief that surrounds us, all I can do as a person of faith is to step forward as a person of faith, light and darkness, and control what I can control. And what I can control is being a good neighbor, whether it's to somebody in grief and just sitting with them and shutting my mouth and listening, um, taking care of whatever I can take care of to help them, whether it is... um, a loss of a loved one, the loss because of COVID, bringing food, listening to stories, crying with someone or laughing with someone, being an advocate with someone. I can do that. And that's that's where I think we're going to change the world is to start being light. Oh, my word, it's going to sound like Jesus. Being light <laughs> and salt in a dark and rotten world. Um, we can do that, Robin. Yeah. I think what, what, when we start talking about how we deal with grief, and I've said it a couple of times, you said it, 
is, and how we look at the American church is we like comfort. Yes. And that grief makes us uncomfortable. Death makes us uncomfortable. Race issues make us uncomfortable. Um, and I don't think that church is ever supposed to have been comfortable. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've been reading a lot during this quarantine because, and all these things happening, I've been trying to just educate myself more and read and hear other voices. And I don't always agree with them a hundred percent, but I'm getting a perspective that's helpful for me to have a framework, which, which to have a conversation. And uh, I was reading Scott McKnight's book, a fellowship of difference. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you've had a chance to read that. It is mm-hmm. fascinating. I remember hearing him at Pepperdine lectureships years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he com- talks about the salad bowl and he says, um, he says, you know, there are three ways to eat a salad. There's the American way, the weird way, and the right way. And so the American way is you get all these ingredients, you know, arugula and spinach. Maybe you use iceberg if you're desperate. And you have some tomatoes in there, some cucumbers, maybe some olives. You throw in some dried nuts and some uh, dried berries and some nuts. And he said, that sounds all great. You toss it together, but then you smother it in salad dressing. He said, so you don't really taste any ingredients. You just taste salad dressing. Mm. And then there's another, the weird way is you have all the ingredients, but they're in separate bowls. You don't ever mix them. The arugula stays where the arugula is. The olives stay in the olives. The nuts and berries stay in their own. And you just pick at a time and eat individual pieces. You may use olive oil or, or some sort of dressing, but in general, they don't mix together. And then he said the right way is you take all those things and put them together and use just a little bit of olive oil, which somehow enhances their individual flavors. So you taste all of them. Mm-hmm. And he says, and this is a this is a picture of what church is. In the American church, we get all these different flavors together, but we make them assimilate and we cover them where they all taste the same. And there's no individual flavors; we're all the same. The weird way that we do things is we have the the Baptists meet with the Baptists, and the Church of Christ meet with the Church of Christ, and the Instrumental Church of Christ meet with the Instrumental Church of Christ, and the Acapella uh, meet with the Acapella Church of Christ, and the One Cuppers, and we've got all these different things, and we never mix together. And he goes, but then there's the Jesus way, and what Paul is envisioning when he's talking to the Galatian church, there's here's these Jews, and here's these Christian uh, Gentiles, and they're coming together and he's not wanting them to come in there and remove their uniqueness or remove their who they are. But they come in there together, and instead of being immersed and covered and assimilated to all be the same person, the Holy Spirit, which works, mm. which is the olive oil, enhances their individual things. And so he's, it's a fascinating take on it because I keep, now I keep thinking about church through a salad bowl because, you know, we in in America, white church, predominantly white churches, we think it's great when we have black people come to our church. We're like, Oh, we're, we're a, we're a diverse congregation. And the reality is we're not, we get the black people in there and we want them to act like white people. And, uh, Oh yeah. And, and so that's not assimilation and they feel that and they shouldn't feel that pressure. But again, it's because we don't listen and we're like, well, you know, and, and you hear comments like this. I know we're kind of moving into racist stuff, but I hear a lot of people that are white going, well, there's not systemic racism. It's because they're not listening and they have a lot of salad dressing on them. Um, if you take a little bit of that salad dressing away and you start to realize that we ask people to lose their individuality to fit in with what we have and what we do, um, that is, that's systemic. Um, 
And, and that it, it's hard. And I know we just kind of opened a can of worms, but I would encourage people to go back and listen. And again, to sit down with someone who looks different than you and let them explain what you just said. And it's a beautiful thing. And I think it's very biblical. Uh, for some reason, we forget that when God called Abraham, it wasn't just for the Jews. The last promise, number four, was all nations would be blessed. We forget where Jesus got this little light of mine was from, Paul, from God's words to Isaiah that says, my people will be a city set on a hill drawing all nations. We forget that when Jerusalem, when Jesus, excuse me, when the Jews were sent into the land of promise, everyone wasn't wiped out. That there were some people that remained because they were, you know, because their sin had not kept them from finding God. There was always provision in the law for people outside the Jewish people to come and be part of God's people. Um, and to worship a holy God, even when Jesus got upset in the temple, when he's quoting Jeremiah 7, that you've made my house a den of robbers, what was being robbed? Well, it seems like the, the Jews were setting up in the court of the Gentiles. So the way they were practicing their faith were keeping Gentiles from coming to finding God. Mm -hmm. The day of Pentecost. All of the tongues spoken from all these tribes in all these areas. Um, and then the final scene of that all of these people from every tribe, every nation are gathered around the throne of God. And even the rainbow itself, the promise around in Revelation 4, yes, it's the promise that God keeps his promise, but it also is a sign of inclusivity. Um, and I'm not talking, you know, getting into another, you know, can of worms of what the rainbow means to us, but the inclusivity of all peoples around the throne of God. Um, that's always been the plan of God. But in our version of Christianity, we have put the salad dressing on that it looks like this. And so if all the different pieces come together, it has to look like this. Um, I think not only has it led to systemic racism practices, we've also lost a beauty in what the church is supposed to be. So I know we're, we've been talking a while, but again, it, it does involve grief. You know, a lot of people have been seeing stuff on social media, we have to repent and we have to grieve. And sometimes white people go too far. I'm going to be honest. Sometimes white people are like, okay, we got this. That's a bad reaction too. We have to stand with our 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 brothers of color at this moment and our sisters. But what it means is going back to this grief deal, we all got to take a deep breath and we have to acknowledge the loss to see where the grief's coming from. And I think if we were all to take that breath for a moment, we could come to a place where we can have practical and honest discussions of how we move forward. Now, why does this have to do with the rest of the grief? We may find ourselves very comfortable in the ambiguous. Mm. Like my situation of well, why is the phrase has gone through so much grief? I can't tell you why, but I know God's God and I'm not. And I do know from Romans 5 that if I persevere through this time of suffering, it produces character and character produces hope and hope doesn't disappoint. So I'm not gonna sit here and lie and think, I know everything, I know the 
the path forward through COVID, the path forward through racism. I, I don't, but I'm very comfortable setting with you. I'm very comfortable setting with my other brothers and sisters that would say, let's send the ambiguity for a moment because I don't really know the answer yet, but I know it begins with me setting with you. And if I believe what Paul says about the Holy Spirit, what did he say? The things that we disagree on that we're unclear of, the Spirit will show us a way forward. The Spirit already did it in Acts between the Jew and the Gentile churches. I think God will do it again. But it begins with us sitting in our grief, trying to understand the loss, and not rush into judgment. And I think that is, that is huge for us. That's why we have the voice of lament. That's why grief should be our companion. Because when grief is our companion, it, you know, I'm a lot more humble person. I'm a lot more comfortable with knowing that I can't control everything. I'm a lot more comfortable knowing that God is God, I am not. And I can live in that ambiguity because God's presence, even in the middle of the suffering I've gone through, which is still light compared to a lot of people listening to this. I never want to say what I've gone through is so much worse because that's a battle you don't want to get into, and it's stupid. Everybody has a degree of suffering, but don't run away from it and set in it. And we learn great lessons. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the second part of this conversation on grief. One of my goals with this podcast was to present Christians as humans, to see that they are still people who are working through complexities and adversity and even joys, just like everyone else. My hope is that when you listen to this conversation with Dr. David Fraze, that you will walk away knowing that grief is a part of the human experience, but that God is present through that grief. And through that grief, God can refine us and make us more and more into the image of Jesus. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation.